0: Good morning, church. Hey, if you don't have a Bible and you want to grab one, we have Bibles located on all the tables and bars around the room. If you do not own a Bible, that's our, that's our gift to you. We're going to be in Matthew 25 this morning, Matthew chapter 25. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we will we will be this morning. My name is Andrew, I get the joy and honor of opening up the Word of God together with you this morning. I serve on our pastoral team. And excited to, to dig in together uh, this morning. want to let you know uh, tonight um, at 5 p.m. we're going to have a time of prayer and worship at our Ethos offices. And so if you've never come to one of our Sunday night times of prayer and worship, I want to invite you to join us. Um, if you just don't get enough of this this morning, there's an opportunity for you uh, tonight at 5 p.m. It's at uh, our offices, which is 2301 8th Avenue South. It's Caddy Corner from Hattie B's um, on, on 8th Avenue. Um, it's this kind of old house, so you can't miss it. It has an E on the front of it. We'd love to have you there tonight at, at 5 p.m. Okay, let's... Uh, what. Let's jump in. Uh, We've kind of taken a a little hiatus from our fall teaching series that we've been in. Uh, The last couple of weeks, we've celebrated our church's birthday, which has been so fun. Last week, uh, we watched 19 people get into the waters of baptism. Yeah. It was a really, really fun Sunday morning. If, If you missed it, honestly, I'd encourage you to go back and just watch the baptisms, um, that we had a camera right up here in the baptistry, not in it, but kind of above it hovering. Um, next time, Robert, a waterproof camera. That would be cool. Um, but we had we an had up-close up view, and so I'd encourage you to go back, watch that. I was talking with someone who couldn't be here last week, and they were like, how powerful was it to just be in the midst of that moment um, and watch the tears come down. They were like, we were crying in our living room watching it. It's just a beautiful thing to see each and every time. And then two weeks ago, uh, we, we said, hey, we're gonna give away 100% of our offering on our birthday um, to really just bless the global church, bless our global partners. And we said, hey, would you all be willing to give $105,000 to just contribute to what God is doing in, in the global church? And you all gave $140,000, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> So we've taken a couple week break from our fall teaching series. We're gonna jump back in uh, the series that we have titled, The Return of Jesus. Matthew 25 is is where we're gonna be this morning, uh, starting in verse 31. Now, before we just jump in, I just wanna be real honest and just kind of vulnerable uh, with you from the beginning. I I have felt just the sobering nature not only of this story, but the previous two stories. I've, I've felt the weight this week. And every week, I, you know, I stand up here. It's, it's me as a person in, in process, but I have just felt like just the rawness of, of being a person in process this week. And so I've just been like, God, I need you to do something in me and through me that, that I don't feel like I've even fully. Been able to live into. So, will you do that amongst us this morning? So, I stand up here as a person in process, asking the Spirit of God to do in us and in me what only only He can do. So, I want to jump in. I want to read this passage as we jump back into our series entitled The Return of Jesus. Uh, Past few weeks, been in Matthew 25. We're going to jump back into this last story starting in verse 31. Jesus is continuing this conversation with his disciples and he says this, he says, when the son of man comes in his glory, now the son of man is Jesus, he's talking about himself, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, this is Jesus. He says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and eating clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. God, we, we, we just wanna come under your word this morning. I don't wanna come under my words. We wanna come under your word. Whatever you wanna say, whatever you wanna speak, we know that, that your words bring life. Your words bring abundant life. There are no truer words than your words, Jesus. And so we just ask that, that you will speak to our hearts in only the ways that you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, will you move amongst us this morning? Will you help us to see and hear and open up our hearts to whatever it is that you wanna say and whatever it is you wanna do? And Jesus, I trust you, I love you, and I ask that you would just make yourself known and glorified this morning. Amen. On... On April 14th, 1912, um, at 10 p.m., the the unsinkable ship, the Titanic, hit an iceberg, and four hours later, that ship, with hundreds of people on board, uh, found itself sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Um, You're probably all aware of, of this story, but I love looking back on historical events, and one of my favorite aspects of looking back and reading the history is actually Seeing and hearing all of these these anecdotal stories, and so you can go and read through books, read through accounts of, of this moment in history, uh, and you can see all of these different um, just perspectives from what from what happened. Uh, one of the stories I, I don't even honestly remember where I heard it, but the story it goes like this: there was a, there was a woman who was who was on the ship, and she had actually gotten a place in one of the lifeboats, and For whatever reason, she she wanted to go back to her room. And the people in charge said, okay, we're going to let you go back, but you have three minutes. You have three minutes to go back to your room. And so she she goes through the corridors, which were already beginning to, to tilt a little bit. She goes through the gambling room with cash already up, piled to her ankles. And she goes into her estate room. She's a pretty wealthy woman, and she goes into the estate room. And she had a lot of choices to make in this this moment. And they knew she wanted to go back and get something, but what she grabs is is three oranges out of a bowl. She grabs three oranges out of the bowl and heads back to the lifeboat, makes it in time. I can remember hearing this story for the first time and thinking to myself, like how, how different things were just an hour earlier. Like how different things were for her just an hour earlier, I think if any of us, and I can remember hearing this story thinking, what a crazy change of perspective. An hour earlier, if you or I or any of us were given the opportunity to, hey, you can grab three items out of this estate room. Wealthy woman, probably a lot of jewelry, a lot of diamonds. In this moment, we all know what we would do. What changed, what shifted for her? One, her circumstances shifted, right? And because of the circumstances shifting, her perspective began to change. The circumstances dictated a change in perspective. All fall, we've, we've been in this teaching series called The Return of Jesus. Where we've, we've been looking at, at, at the future. We have been looking at where just the story is headed, not only for us collectively, but for each and every individual. We've looked at Jesus's words, and we've been asking the question, okay, how do we live faithfully? How do we live faithfully in light of Jesus's return? How do we live faithfully in light of the circumstances that Jesus says will begin to unfold as his return gets closer? And here's what I've been realizing this week is I've once again been digging into Matthew 25, the perspective from which we live the perspective from which we see things actually changes the way that we live. So the perspective through which we see things is really important because it deeply impacts the way that we choose to live our lives. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, where we've been the last few weeks, it's this invitation to, to live in light of eternity. Like, that's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been digging into. And Jesus, in Matthew 25, he tells these three stories back to back, to back. And I think in all three of these stories, what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples, what he's trying to do with us is he's trying to to align our perspective with his perspective. He's trying to say, hey, you you need to align your way of thinking and your way of living with, with my way of living and my way of thinking. Matthew 25 is some really powerful, sobering parables. We looked at the first two the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. And I'm not gonna dig into detail, but for the sake of of where we're going today, because I think, once again, you have to remember, Jesus is in this conversation with with his disciples, and this conversation continued to go from Matthew 24 to Matthew 25. And I think everything that Jesus is sharing here, it actually builds on one another. These stories begin to build on one another, and they begin to invite us into a way of living. And so if you remember the 10 bridesmaids, Jesus says, hey, I want you to make sure you have oil in your lamps. I, I, I want you to make sure you, you live lives of friendship and intimacy with Jesus. He says, I want you to deeply know me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to live a life not, not just separate from me. I want you to live a life of abiding in me, knowing me deeply, not living from, from a religious viewpoint, but living into the relationship that I made you for. And then that second parable, parable of the talents, Jesus says, hey, all of who you are, all the ways that I've wired you, all the ways that I've made you, everything that you have, your personality, your finances, your gifting, all of that, I want you to, to, to offer it to me to live with the kingdom in mind. This morning, we're going to look at the the last few words of Jesus here in Matthew 25. And I think Jesus right here in this moment, he is compelling us to live lives of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love to the hurting, to the broken, to the downcast, to the outcast, or as Jesus says, to the least of these. And as we dig into these words today, here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to to embrace a couple of perspective shifts that I think Jesus is inviting us into through these words. This is how we're gonna frame up the rest of our time. We're gonna look at two ways our perspective shifts in light of eternity, in light of the return of Jesus. The first perspective shift that I think Jesus's words invite us into is this move from earthly treasure to kingdom inheritance. Number one, if you're taking notes, from earthly treasure to kingdom inheritance. Jesus, once again, he's saying, hey, there is a day coming. There is a moment coming. And he gives us the clearest picture yet of what that day is gonna look like. He says, it's gonna be like a shepherd who is separating the sheep from the goats. And we're like, sheep and goats, what's going on? In his context, they would have understood, hey, these were the two most common animals. And often, The shepherds, they would group the sheep and the goats together because it was a lot easier to, to move about the fields, to move them from the pastures, to just group the sheep and the goats together. But there were moments, there would be moments where the shepherds would have to separate the sheep and the goats for different reasons. Now, why does Jesus give us these stories? Why does Jesus give us these honestly pretty sobering parables that if you had given me the choice, I wouldn't just jump up here to teach them? I think he knows the tendencies of the human heart. He knows how easy it is for someone like me to live for the right now. How easy it is for me to live for the right now and not live for something greater. So in this story, in the previous two parables and throughout the rest of Jesus's earthly teaching, he makes it really clear You do not want to forfeit the eternal for the temporary. You do not want to forfeit the eternal for the temporary. Why why does he do this? He knows how easy it is for us to forfeit the eternal reward and prize for the temporary pleasures, comforts, worries, and dead ends that this world has to offer. And why does he keep coming back to this over and over and over again? Think about his teaching. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? He says, hey, do not store for yourself treasures on earth. He says, no one can serve two masters. Makes it abundantly clear. And then the New Testament writers, they, they keep the same heart. They keep the same thread going. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. says, do you not know That in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but hear this, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Why do we need to hear this over and over and over again? Why did the New Testament writers just emphasize Jesus' words? because of how prone we are to wander, because of how prone we are to drift back to this perspective, hey, this world and the things it has to offer will satisfy me. But over and over and over again, Jesus says, hey, you have to have a perspective shift. Listen to Jesus' words here. Jump back in with me to verse, verse 34. This is, this is, But Jesus, he says, then the king, Jesus himself, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Like, there will be a moment when Jesus says, hey, come. Come on in. Like, you who are blessed by my Father, come and receive all that you've been waiting for. The kingdom, like the kingdom prepared in advance for you since the creation of the world. You have to understand that the way God intended things to be, he is going to eventually get. And it is the very thing that we were made for. Now, the question is, will we endure to the end in the ways that Jesus invites us to? He says, come into the kingdom, you who are blessed by my Father, the question I've been asking myself this week is like, who and what am I living for? Who and what am I living for? And I think the question I just wanna ask us this morning is where where do you need to shift your perspective from earthly treasure to kingdom inheritance? Are there places in your life right now where, where Jesus is inviting you to live for the kingdom inheritance and let go of the things that are keeping you from it? I'll end this point with a, with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from, from the 1800s. He, he says this, he says, "'It is exceedingly beneficial to our souls "'to mount above this present evil world "'to something nobler and better. "'The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches "'are apt to choke everything good within us. "'And we grow fretful, desponding, perhaps proud,' Carnal. It is well for us to cut down these thorns and briars for heavenly seed sown among them that is not likely to yield a harvest. And I do not know a better sickle with which to cut them down than thoughts of the kingdom to come. Jesus, with, with eternal weight on the line, invites us to just shift our perspective from earthly treasure to kingdom inheritance. And I think it's with this perspective shift that we actually can then live into the next one. Because unless we have this first shift of perspective, we're not gonna be able to live into the next, which is the shift from self-fulfillment to sacrificial love. Number two, if you're taking notes, from self-fulfillment to sacrificial love. Let's keep reading. Let's go back to verse 35. Jesus, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The, the gravitational pull, here's, here's what I was feeling this week. The gravitational pull of, of the world and our flesh is towards self-centeredness and self-fulfillment. Like, I don't have to like, go around and take a poll and ask y'all, how much do you think about yourself? I know the answer. It's a lot because I do it too. Although, although we don't know much about the lives of, of, of those who were on the left, although Jesus doesn't go into great detail, although we don't know from Scripture, we, we actually do, we, we, we actually know what this, this, this life looks like. It, it's, it's the life for self. It's the life of self-fulfillment. It's, it's the building of your own little kingdom. It's those that don't have time. It's those who this and that. I can't do that because X, Y, Z. And we, we, I think we all get this. Like, I get this. You know why? Because I wrestle with it. Because I've been wrestling with it all week. Like, I understand this tension in this pool. And here's here's what Jesus is pointing out. The the life of a disciple, like, has a really important perspective shift. The life of a disciple, as you follow Jesus, you begin to shift from this life of self-fulfillment to a life of sacrificial love. You begin to live for others. from from self to sacrifice, from selfishness to selflessness. And something I wanna highlight because I think this is actually really important. These these are Jesus's closing words in this conversation. Think about it, Matthew 24 all the way to the end of Matthew 25. These are the words that Jesus chooses to end with. And I, I think one of the reasons is because this is at the very heart of who our God is. This is at the very heart of who he is and what he's like. He is a God of love. He is a God of compassion. He is a God that sees the least of these and loves the least of these. The hurting, the broken, the vulnerable. And Jesus, he says, hey, you want want a litmus test for the Christian life? You want a litmus test for for what it is to be my disciple? It's love. It's love. It's self-sacrificial, agape love. It's looking at the ones in the world that typically the world overlooks. It's it's those who loved and served the least of these that inherit the kingdom of God, which makes so much sense when you go and you look at the life of Jesus. When you you look at the life of Jesus' ministry, and you see the the people that Jesus spent time around, you look at the ones that Jesus was hanging out with, it's like, oh, I I totally see why Jesus ends Matthew 25 this way. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, the outcast, I could go on and on and on and name story after story where we see Jesus just doing this. This is who he is. And my heart this week, honestly, was so full as I thought about this church family, like, I just thought about all of the ways that this is lived out in different parts of our city week in and week out. I thought about a friend in, in this room who just has a heart for the stranger. He and his family have, have just given their, their life to welcome the refugee in, have, has given their life to, to see those who have no place to have a place. The stranger who has no home to have a home. I know so many of you are involved in that area of work in our city in so many different ways. I thought about a number of friends who go out on Monday nights with people loving Nashville to to serve and love on those experiencing homelessness in our city. Men, women, children who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Number of you, just like every Monday night, faithfully going out, loving, serving, being the light of Jesus, being his hands and feet. I thought about a friend of mine who, who goes into the prisons, shares the gospel and the love of Jesus through music. Thought about just so many different stories, like in this room alone. And I think about people who have experienced like sickness. Heartache, brokenness, and watching the way in which you have come around one another is one of the most beautiful gifts, I think, of this church. You've lived into it. You've done it. I could go on and on and on, all morning long, example after example of where I've seen this played out. I say all that, but I don't want us to miss the weight and the gravity of what Jesus is saying here. Because this story and the previous two parables, it should wake us up. It should sober us up as followers and disciples of Jesus, especially living in the epicenter of cultural Christianity. Like the belt buckle of the Bible belt, like this this should wake us up. And let me be clear, these, these words from Jesus are not here to condemn us. Not at all. If you feel any condemnation right now, you're not hearing it right, but it should convict us. It it should beckon us. It should pull us into wholehearted devotion to Jesus as his disciples. These, These words all week have been waking me up to the reality, hey, following Jesus is not a part of life. It is a way of life. It is a way of life, that is measured by our love for others. This is Jesus' heart from the beginning of time, right? His, his, his kids to receive his love and reflect his love to those around them. The Holy Spirit this week, just convicting me to, to, my, to my core as I meditated on this passage. The past few weeks, there has been a friend of mine who's who's been in the hospital. And I've been saying for weeks, like, gotta go see him. Gotta go visit him. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Some of them pretty good, to be honest. And the Holy Spirit was like, Andrew, you, you can't stand up here and preach this passage unless you actually start living this passage out. And so with a sermon to write on Thursday, I I left the office, went to see my friend, spent a couple hours with him. And although I can't heal him physically, I can can look after his heart. I can look after his spirit. And as I'm leaving on Thursday, um, the nurse stops me And she says, thank you for coming. I haven't seen him smile that much in, in weeks. And deep within my core, I knew I should have been there far, far more often and far too sooner. But in his kindness, Jesus said, hey, this is what life is all about. Because Jesus himself says, hey, I was there in those moments. They're like, we didn't see you. Hey, you, you, you wanna see me? You wanna find me? You wanna meet me? You wanna know me? Hey, go, go, go to the hurting. Go to those who are sick. Go to those who are lowly. And I just realized this week, there are so many barriers that keep us from just simply living into this passage. There are so many barriers that that keep us from making that that shift from self-fulfillment to sacrificial love. And I was talking with, with Lucas this week. He's our director for local and global missions. Someone who, long before he held this position, just is a man who lives into these words from Jesus. And I said, hey, what are the barriers, like what are the things in our cultural context that, that keep us from, from really living into these words? So we talked back and forth, and I said, I think it's helpful to understand, to know what we're working against, to actually be able to overcome it. So we talked about four, and I want to hit these real quickly, and then we're going we're to end. Number one, I think the first barrier that keeps us from making this shift is the pursuit of comfort. If, if there were physical idols in our time in our day like there were in biblical times, the, the idol of comfort in our context would be probably the widest and tallest of all of them. And once again, Jesus in his kindness all week has been reminding me, hey, I left the comfort of heaven out of love for you. I'm not inviting you to do anything or follow me in any way, shape, or form that I haven't already lived. here's Here's what I love about pushing past our comfort into the uncomfortable is this is so often where we meet Jesus. He says it himself in this passage. So number one, the pursuit of comfort. Number two, pace and lack of space. Right up there with our pursuit and desire for comfort is our, our busy schedule and lack of margin. It's, it's the thing that I've wrestled with the past few weeks with my friend. Oh, do I have time? When will I go? How will it work? And what the Holy Spirit was saying to me this week was, Andrew, if you do not have time to love the least of these, you need to rearrange your schedule. Number three, Apathy and indifference. Whew, this is right up there with me if I'm being real. My heart just simply becomes becomes cold and apathetic to those to those hurting, to the least of these. Honestly, because I think I think the distance. Because when you distance yourself from someone, when you distance yourself from something, it's really easy to become apathetic and indifferent. I just thought about Isaiah 58, where God is talking about the Israelite people and the kind of fasting that they were doing. They they were pursuing God. They were loving God. They were fasting to know God. And he comes and he says, hey, is this not the kind of fast that I have chosen? That you would loosen the chains of injustice? That you would feed those who are hungry? That you would come near to those who are hurting? And it's amazing what happens. You you wanna have a heart. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I I am kind of apathetic and indifferent to those hurting in these situations. Draw near and draw close. And I promise you, he will give you a heart of empathy. Number four, fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. Here's what I know. If If I don't know how a situation's gonna play out, if if I don't know how something's going to play out, I'm hesitant, I'm resistant. Typically when I am unsure, it's not easy for me to take a step. And maybe this just this unknown world whatever it might be is a barrier for you. Now, we're getting ready to land the plane, but before we do that, I want to make something really clear. The last thing I want us leaving here and doing is thinking we have to work our way towards righteousness. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about. First of all, did did you notice that Jesus, when he's talking about inheriting the kingdom of God, he uses this word inheritance. He says, receive your inheritance. What do you do to earn an inheritance? Nothing, it's a gift. An inheritance is a gift, an undeserved gift. And then, the, those on the right said, we didn't see you. We, we didn't know you we're, were there in the midst of that. And you, you see something. And I think this is really important for us to see and know and understand before we go out and try to do a lot this week. They, they were not loving and serving sacrificially in order to earn the love of God. It was because of the love of God that they knew, that they understand, that they knew that allowed them to go and love others. What's happening here? They're living out of the overflow of a life with Jesus. They weren't sacrificially loving because they were trying to to earn love. It was because they had been loved that they were able to sacrificially love others. It's important for us to know that. It's what Jesus shares in John 15, one of my favorite passages in, in the entirety of Scripture. And Jesus invites us into this life of, of abiding. He says, hey, your life with me and in me is, is like this branch that must remain in the vine. And he says, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you have friendship with me, if you walk with me, if you know me, you will bear much fruit. It's this promise says, you, you will bear fruit and fruit that will last. And he goes on to say, he doesn't just stop there. He says, and here's what this fruit looks like. He says, to love each other as I have loved you. The fruit of a life of abiding is deep love for those around you. I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus started Matthew 25 with the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. I think him inviting us into this life of intimacy and friendship with him was gonna be really crucial for the next two stories that he was gonna tell. And I'll close with just a couple of questions. Then I wanna invite us to go to communion together. Where where is the Spirit of God inviting you to make some perspective shifts? Maybe there are places that you you already know. There's just some places where you have been living with, with an earthly treasure perspective. And he's inviting you to start living from a kingdom inheritance perspective. Maybe, maybe he's revealing how, how much of your life revolves around self and self-fulfillment. He was to me this week. And he's inviting you to just to embrace, embrace that posture that he embraced of surrendering, of loving sacrificially on behalf of others. Whatever it is, all of it comes out of the overflow of our lives in Jesus. All of it comes out of the overflow of understanding and abiding and receiving the love of the Father. Because unless we understand the blessing that is to come from the Father, we can't be a blessing to others. And it's the reason every week, every week as a church family, we... We get up from our seats and we head to the table. It's this physical reminder that, that we, we are coming as those who first need to receive in order to give. Where we take the bread and this cup which represents Jesus' body and blood that was broken for us, that was shed for us. This is, this is not just rote, this is significant. Each and every week we say, okay, Jesus, we are coming to you first. Before we go out into this world, before we go out into our city, before we go back into our homes, we first must receive your love and know your love and abide in you because it's not on our own power, on our own strength. It's through you and in you that we can love and serve the least of these. So this morning, I invite you to stand, invite you to go to the table. And as you do that, Receive it in love and with love. Receive the love and the sacrifice of Jesus before we go and live the love and sacrifice of Jesus towards others. Let's go to the table now together. And if you've never taken communion, uh, here in our context before, we, we literally walk to the table, we grab the juice, we grab the bread, and we head back to our seat and we circle up. I invite you, if you want to, you can process with the people around you You can take it on your own. Um, And then last reminder is if you are a parent and you have kids, after you grab communion, remember to go grab your your kids after that because we've got um, an 11 o'clock out today. Um, And so grab communion, grab your kids, and we'll uh, continue in worship together. I love you, church. If you wanna receive prayer, there'll be some men and women who are at the Respond Banner. They would love to talk and pray with you.